Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and here's my lovely co-host, Bianca Mangum. Hello. And we have a guest today from LearnNatV.org, William Annis. Hello. I'm actually like a, a little bush today, because uh, this weekend I participated in another very, very geeky hobby. I went to a LARP. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Quite fun. But, All right, continue uh, your story. There's not much interest in, in it for Conlang or Conworld perspective, because frankly, the setting that they use is sort of general fantasy mishmash, so... Oh, no and, monks running around speaking Latin or anything like that? Um... <laughs> No, uh, but they do have a a, an, uh, a habit of representing in-game languages with real languages. That, but that's topic for another time. Oh, and I also want to specially announce uh, Tomas will not be joining us today, and for the time being, he's not going to be a regular host because. I won't go into details, but basically his life just recently exploded, basically. So, real life comes before stupid podcast, so yeah. we'll, we'll be missing him. He might come on occasionally. Are we ready for our main topic here? Sure. Yep. Uh, so, you've created a conline. Great. Now you want people to see it, hopefully appreciate it somewhat. How do you do that? Are you going to just slap your grammar up online, maybe make some lessons up, or are you going to write fiction and put the language into that as flavor? Or, you know, maybe you're an Oxlanger and you have your whole manifesto behind your language you want to show. How do you get other people to see your conlang? How... Do you get it out there? How do you get people to pay attention to it? What do you guys think on this subject? How you do it obviously depends on what the purpose of it is. If you're an Oxlang, then you pretty much try and convert anyone possible. But if you're like me and you do Artlangs, I suggest putting something about it in every other sentence you write. And then that way someone will have to notice. <laughs> Interesting approach to it. You just beat them over the head with it till they give in. <laughs> what do you uh, do? You mean that on Conlang focused fora, or just well, everywhere you can? Well, well not everywhere. Oops. I'm not going to go to like some math board and be like, "Hey, guys, <laughs> I know you like algebra, but." How about some in Yelk? No. <laughs> let's, let's talk about that, because the fact is, we talked about this on the last podcast, there are a few very famous Conlangs that have entered sort of the general consciousness. You have Quenya and Sindarin, you have Klingon, you have now Natvi. Those, those but none things, of those are famous on their own. They're famous because they're part of something else that has caught public attention. And then they go with it. 
Not well, yeah. someone's like, oh, I really like this, so I'm going to tell everyone I know. That's true. Especially for Art Langs, you can't really push it on its own. No, I mean, unless I go around lying to people and say it's a real thing. Yeah. I think probably one major thing is you want to think about what audience we want to reach. But the general public is probably never going to have any more than a basic general idea of, I know this exists anyway. If you want it in the general public, you have to have something else. And even Oxlangs have this big movement behind it and the, their philosophy behind it. Well, like I said, it depends on what you want. I don't know what you would do for an Oxlang because I haven't really thought about it. I mean, well, unfortunately for Oxlangs, the normal operating procedure appears to be write some inflammatory posts on another. <laughs> Oxlang's boards talking about how yours is such an incredible, magnificent improvement over all previous attempts. And that will certainly get you attention. The only Oxlang that's got significant numbers I can think of recently that's, that's contemporary is uh, Lingua Franca Nova. And that was yeah. more or less polite. That, that wasn't quite as aggressive as some people can be. And Oxlang, and, and honestly, I don't know how he did that. I think that just happened because the language is pretty appealing as Oxlangs go. Sounds good. One thing I have noted, and I'm purely pulling this from the book uh, Land of Invented Languages by Erica Okrin, and one thing she points out is both in Oxlangs and in a couple famous Artlangs, there has to be a community around it. And she talks about how Zamenhof, Dr. Esperanto, actually made his language sort of public domain. He didn't want to control it or anything. Well, he was also but, concerned about the fact that since he was a Jew in the late 18 and early 1900s, that there might be prejudice against the language if he kept control of it as well. Uh, that, that could be true. Well, it's still kind of silly to want people to use your language and still be like, I'm the king of the language, I have direct control, you guys just use it at my will. Well, well That's even, not how language works. Yeah. The, the Volopu guy sure tried, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not advocating that attitude at all. I, <laughs> I am not fond of most Oxlang philosophy sort of thing. I'll be honest, uh, less than an hour ago I told off one of my friends about Esperanto, so... <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it happens. Well, that, <laughs> make, that, makes me, that makes me the odd man out, since I've actually been to one uh, North American Esperanto conference. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, what's your thoughts on that? I'm well, well I'm an Esperanto heretic. I'm a Raumist. If you've not heard about the Raumism, Raumismo controversy, that's probably a, a topic for, I don't know if you guys want to talk about it, but it, it, it's focused on Esperanto as representing a community of like-minded people rather than promoting Esperanto as a common second language. So it's, it's a different focus on the, on the use of Esperanto and the sort of people who speak it rather than focused on promoting it. But then we have languages like Tokipona. Do we suppose she promoted that? 
and, and there's still plenty of people trying to learn it and I using have, it. I have seen some things on Tokipana. I think she did deliberately put that out there, did deliberately promote it a bit. I'm thinking, though, that her philosophy is also fairly soft. She doesn't really want to make it an IAL. She wants to make it... She has her philosophy, and she represented it in the language she created. Yeah, I think that's sort of the, the point I was making and dovetailing off what Bianca said. You need more than just the language. You need some reason for a community to form around that language. Because learning a language, even a simplified IAL, is hard. It's a lot of work. So if you it's want other time. it is a lot of time. It is a lot of work. Yeah. So it seems like there needs to be something else binding that group together. And that actually holds true for the very big art lines that are out there because they're attached to very, very popular entertainment franchises. Right. Like, you know, a lot and of fans with a worldview. Yes. And you talk about Klingon speakers, they're all big Star Trek fans. You talk about people who are studying the Elven languages, they're big Tolkien fans. It's how that community is growing about that fictional work the same way Esperanto grew up around its philosophy and what, like, Lodge Band grew up around also another philosophy about language, although it's impossible to speak. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm in the unusual position of having one of my languages be learned by other people. Not very many. Like three or four. And I haven't the foggiest clue why they did. <laughs> Me a neither. Of, a friend of mine started learning it. And then I said, well, this is, this is annoying. I don't want to use my work email. Let's just make a mailing list and we can keep track of our discussions. Because he was always asking me for new words. And then a few other people joined. So I had people for a while trying to learn my language and no clue. Not a single clue how that one got picked. I don't know either. Like, because I put my stuff on the forums and then someone PMs me. They're like, hey, do you have lessons for your language? And I was like, no. Why would anyone <laughs> want to learn it? Yeah. So this is, I, I made some that. lessons and I have some lessons out there. But I'm just like, why? I don't get it. <laughs> Writing those lessons can be such a great improvement on helping you notice places you've missed things. It helps me to realize, cause sometimes I put differences in, like when I'm writing the grammar and when I'm writing the lessons. I notice things that I put in without thinking, and then I'm like, oh, I guess that is kind of different. I don't know how they'd know that if I didn't tell them. <laughs> but it wasn't like something I intentionally put in. And... I want to make clear, promoting your conlang, especially to a general audience, is not for everybody. I don't even have any of my conlangs outlined on a website. I have my internal materials that I intend to be using to write fiction. I'm using my materials to write fiction. If I ever finish my novel, I'll put an appendix about the language. But other than that, I'm not really that interested in having making other people learn or trying to get other people to learn. If it happens, it happens. It'll be cool, but it's well, not. See, my see, subject. but that makes me sad because last on your on your inaugural podcast, several of you said you don't read 
other people's conlangs. <laughs> I love reading other people's conlangs. Find a cheap web hosting service. Put it on the Frath Wiki, which is free for Pete's sake. I really hate languages on wikis. What you should do, type it up in a nice document, put it on Dropbox. It's free. It's easy. Sure. And it's or nice. that. Just make it available somehow. I mean, I know I said I don't like reading things, and we talked about it earlier, but two problems I have with reading things. The writing level will be, how do I say it again? The terminology won't be there at all, so it'll be like A's and, you know, shoe or something. I'm like, there's no A in shoe, it doesn't make sense, so whatever. Or it'll be too technical and without examples. I'm like, if you don't put examples, if you don't put glosses, my biggest pet peeve, I need glosses. Yeah. Well, that involves knowledge and writing ability. And I want to clarify, I love looking at sketches, and I, I like looking at other people's languages, at least enough to get ideas about what the, what they have, but I don't have time to sit down and read grammars all the time. I don't, well, I don't have the desire to read grammars all the time. If I'm really interested, I would read more and look into these things more if I wasn't more interested in other things or something. But the fact is, yeah, there's there's people like you, William, that will like to actually drill down into the grammar and I think that's actually very good. I wish I did more of that because it's, you know, you can get ideas from that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, when we say promoting, it doesn't have to be just learning. It can be people reading. The other problem I have with reading conlangs is that people don't, like, promote it in such a way that says, this is an interesting feature, this is something that I like about it, And going back to the fact that I also like art langs that have, like, a culture. I have this, it reflects the culture, so there's two things connected. A lot of people just be like, oh, it's nominative, accusative, one-person inclusive, exclusive, whatever. That's not interesting. You should... Sometimes a more detail is better. Because, you know, I could say, I have red shoes. But it's not as interesting if I say, oh, I have red shoes that match the Wizard of Oz or something. It, it helps to incorporate more into it to get people's attention. Yeah. I'll say that when you're promoting to the conlang community, which is the other side of our discussion here, when you're writing your grammar, when you're writing up your materials, the first thing that people will want to see is what goes behind your language. If it's an Oxlang, you want to say what your philosophy for this Oxlang is, what you want, why you think it's a good language. If it's a philosophical language, you know, outline a little bit why, how, why you arrange things how you are. And if it's an art lang, definitely, definitely good grammars start with a cultural background. You start with whatever culture speaks this language, talk about their a little bit about their history, about their culture, about, you know, who these people are. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't even learn a real language if you didn't have any, like, cultural background about them or nothing. You wouldn't just be like, 
Yes, I'm going to land this one because you need the further information or else it's just what is there to catch your interest? I mean, there are plenty of nominative curators, accusative languages out there that's not telling me anything special. I don't know. I think there are some personal languages which have such, even though they don't necessarily have a, a, a culture behind them, have such a distinctive creative tone that can make them appealing. Well, then you should add that. I'm not saying it needs to have a culture. It just needs to have... You need to highlight the parts of it that are interesting rather than list of facts. You need oh. a hook. And a culture can be a hook. Uh, a philosophy behind the language can be a hook. The story of why you created the language or what started you creating languages can be a hook. For a 73 consonant inventory can be a hook. That would be an anti-hook. That would be a turn-off. <laughs> For some people, that's cool. For some yeah, no, people, some they people would really love that. that. Although Some people you know. are freaks. <laughs> Sorry, I'm mean. <laughs> Although, isn't there a Nat Lang with 83 consonants or something? Oh, all over South Africa, those languages have lots and lots of consonants. <laughs> In addition to the clicks. Yes, yes. I just bring that up because I mean, last night... Ta- Last time we were talking about how weird is weird, because you find all kinds of of things in human languages <laughs> that people will think are completely weird from coming from our perspective sometimes, or from sure. a, it's it's, it's, it's the curse it's the curse of the conlanger to invent something weird and only discover that three languages in Australia already do it. I love when you get like a new conlanger on the forums and they're like. I thought of this awesome thing. What if there was like a number when there was two things and then we're like, that's existed way before. And I'm just like, it's called the duel. They're like, but I spent 10 hours thinking it up. I thought it was original. No. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's why I just stick to, if I have an idea, I try to look it up on Wikipedia anyway. I don't, really care about trying to create something original. That's the same thing with my well, stories. The whole package kind of is like original. Feudal effort. I mean, do you really think you're gonna think of something that millions of people speaking over thousands of years have not thought up? No. The I say <laughs> the, the whole package and the execution of it should be the unique thing, the creative thing. When you're writing a story, you're using stock tropes and things from real experience pulled into it. You never, ever come with a a completely new idea. And honestly, sometimes trying to come up with a completely new idea is not interesting because it'll be so alien to people that they just don't process it. They're, I agree. They're... I mean, you don't want to be original just to be original. You want, you know, the way things combine to be your own unique thing, not just make stuff up. Yeah, it can seem a little strained sometimes if you're aiming for novelty. just seems exhausting and sometimes not very convincing. Yeah. yeah. Even some of the most novel conlangs, like the, like the philosophical languages that can't be learned, basically, and the things like, what is it, Frass, that has, like, stack grammar, 
those ideas come from other places. Philosophical languages are hundreds of years old, and the stack language comes from what programming languages, doesn't it? Uh, well, certainly programming languages use that. I'm not sure. I've not studied that one enough to know the motivation. Uh, I, I'm not I'm really well versed on it, but I, I've seen it mentioned. Why don't we go ahead and move on to a featured, our featured conlang? And the reason we have William here is our featured conlang today. We're going with something a little bit more native, mainstream. Natvi. Not the Natvi language was created by linguist Paul Frommer for James Cameron's 2009 movie Avatar. Uh, its influences include Malay and Indonesian and Persian. He has included several interesting features, such as they, they have syllabic trills, they have a tripartite system, they have dual and trial numbers. Again, these are things that exist in other languages, specifically things that Paul Frommer pulled from other languages. I'll just, I'm just going to turn this over to you, William, since you actually know. Since you know what you're talking about. about. The situation. <laughs> As, uh, on the top of the episode, I mentioned William Annis is actually part of the website LearnNotVia.org, which is a fan site that analyzes basically statements from Paul Frommer and stuff from the movie and uh, associated materials to talk to reconstruct what Na'vi really is. Sure. The website is a lot more than just focused on the language, but that's why I'm there. So, unlike Klingon, which had a book published officially blessed by the powers that be at uh, Paramount, we have nothing official from anyone, not Fox, from not from Lightstorm, um, not really from Paul Frommer, about the Natvi language. So how can anyone produce it? For me, the early history of Natvi was like being in linguistics, you know, 301. Someone would do an interview as part of the marketing juggernaut that led up to the release of the film. Paul Frommer would give us a new sentence in Natvi, and myself and a few other um, obsessives would pull that apart and try to figure out what was going on grammatically in terms of the vocabulary. We had a little help in that one of the books published before the movie came out called The uh, Avatar, An Activist Survival Guide, had a, a somewhat defective word list, but it was still enough to give us a clue to know, to pull grammar apart from words like case endings and so on and so forth. So that's how it's worked most of the time, and then when the movies finally came out on DVD or whatever, we could listen more carefully and, and, and try to decipher what an American pretending to be, no, what pretending an Australian pretending to be an American speaking <laughs> an alien language, what was actually he pronouncing? Because not all of them. Most of the actors did quite well, but sometimes it could be a little hard. Yeah, that's actually something in pre-show I was bringing up. I was very impressed, actually, with the level to which you could see people being fluent in the language, at least on the Navi side, which is where the people would be extremely fluent. I have, I've noticed in other things, if you listen to Klingon spoken in various Star Trek episodes and movies, it's all over the map. Um, yeah. <laughs> who's fluent and who's not. Yes, it Mostly is. Mostly very disfluent because it's very hard. 
And then, you know, talking about uh, the Lord of the Rings movie, I, it was, I always found it very jarring that Aragorn seems to be most fluent in the elven languages, even though there are elves in the movie. <laughs> I think I read somewhere that he, like the actor, really liked doing the elvish, but no one else did, so he was like, more elvish, more elvish, which is probably why he was good at it. And then everyone was like, no! And well, probably why they sucked at it. <laughs> there is a problem in that especially for things like these movies, these languages, while exciting to people who like invented languages, are set decoration for the people making them. So uh, not a great deal of attention may necessarily be given to smoothing out and perfecting uh, a natural effect for these languages. Certainly that was the case with uh, Not V. I don't yeah. think, I, I think... I think the time of Sigourney Weaver is more valuable than, you know, giving her intensive lessons in how to pronounce ejective consonants. <laughs> yeah. They should make actors take at least some mild linguistic courses, because sometimes they get really annoyed when they say things horribly wrong. Yeah, some of them will have dialect coaching, but I don't... <laughs> make I don't them want learn. dialect coaching. I want proper linguistics, <laughs> which is never going to happen. Yeah, what language would we make them learn to give them the best workout? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Something from the Pacific Northwest. That would really, that would really give them a workout. Uh, Since then, unlike, so going back to to how people can can use this language, Paul Fromer, who invented the language, has been remarkably accessible. He is alive, unlike Tolkien, um, (laughs) and he can be reached by email, unlike, um, you know, the the inventor of, of Klingon, who stays further back, and I, and I don't know if that's contractual or just temperamental. So, think, we have a I, lot of people, especially right after the movie came out, just inundating Paul Fromer with questions about how to use this language. So, email answers from him, things published for marketing the movie, people analyzing the interviews has all come together, and now he has a blog where sometimes he you know, gives us new information. All of that together has combined to give us a pretty good picture of what this language looks like. And I would estimate at this point there are a few dozen people who are studying the language intensely, and some people can speak it quite fluently. Uh, last October, there was a meeting in California where Paul Fromer and a bunch of sort of linguistic bigwigs in the Navi community got together and worked out some details, smoothed off some rough parts, ans- asked some questions, and got some questions answered. So he's he's really been available well beyond his contractual ob- obligations. So that's helped the language succeed as well. Yeah. But going back to the what we talked about the last segment, if this language were not attached to a movie that blew out people's brainstems and and sort of caught on to a cultural zeitgeist, uh, no one would care. Except a few people like me and other people who think, oh, yeah, tripartite, interesting. Yeah, so instead of a couple dozen people learning, it would be like two. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Paul Frommer, <laughs> from what I've seen of his stuff, he seems very passionate about pushing this language, uh, as opposed to, I think, from what I have heard, at least at the start, for Okrand, Klingon was kind of just a job. And then... Frommer really likes doing this stuff, and he likes to talk about it. In fact, I have a uh, the one Navi clip I I have Navi, sorry, 
navi clip get, get I that, have. Get that bottle stop. That apostrophe means something here. Yes, yes, and I like it. I, I hate useless and- apostrophes, but they mean something that's good. <laughs> but uh, uh, I have a clip of him at a talk. This is at TED USC talking about uh, basically romance in Natvi. Where I can see one growing out my And you hear the, the laughing because, as subtitled on his. PowerPoint slide. It means uh, be my ikran and let's take a ride. Ikrans being the, the big four-winged flying mounts yes. that the Nazi yes. have. Yes. yes. <laughs> and specifically, be my ride. Yes. So wait, was that, exactly. the, was that a chat-up line? <laughs> yes, yes. That's yes. a pick-up line. <laughs> Just checking. Yes. I've heard Would, worse. Yeah, that's his standard brief introduction, he uses that as the frame to explain things like infixes and, and grammar marking and number marking that Notby has. It, he, he correctly, I think, assumes that people will find it easier to deal with if it's amusing in some way. Yeah, he, he, uh, he in that speech, I, I saw that he introduced the, the greeting, I see you. What's the Notby again with that? Well, Natika Meye. Yeah. And uh, talked about how there's an infix in in name and it's and how it is it it's not just I see you but I see you with a positive attitude marker. But he right. explained it a little less technically than that. Right. I'm not that one. I have no idea where that idea came to him. Usually, so he he taught melee in. And, and this has all come out in interviews. He, 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 he used melee to teach math when he was in the Peace Corps and his dissertations on Persian. So sometimes I can see those influences in the Navi language. I have no idea where he got the idea of this, this positive, um, attitude infix and the negative attitude infix. I mean, melee has something kind of like a negative attitude thing, except it's a circumfix, but you know, that might have been the starting point. I really don't know. I'm sure that there's some language out there that has it. but Oh, no doubt. I just don't know which one it is. So f- for me, what's been interesting about Navi and, and what kept me going, especially at the start, is all sorts of people who openly complain about hating their Spanish class in college or high school were suddenly passionate about learning how to pronounce ejective consonants <laughs> and how to figure out the very complicated um, transitivity matters that Navi requires you understand before you can make almost any sentence. So uh, for me, Navi was a great way to get people interested in language in general, and Conlang's somewhat marginally, but there it, it provides an introduction to Conlanging for some people as well. Yeah. And it also exposes weird ideas people have about language. <laughs> oh. Those <laughs> crop up all the time. Especially when you're teaching the language... Yeah. It's like, no, why would you think that? And then, you know, it's, it's eye-opening. I it is. Have... And, and there's an ongoing project by Paul Fromer to take requests for new vocabulary from the speaker community, and he will create them or not or whatever. And people's submissions can sometimes be pretty 
interesting. Like that that myth about the the forty words for snow in Eskimo is unkillable. Yes. Oh, yes. And so Absolutely. when people want to make suggestions to not be, sometimes we get some really complicated, super hyper detailed vocabulary on one tiny little segment of the semantic field. Oh, there's. Oh, you'll get like technical people. Hate when that happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone wants their own field perfectly yes. represented. Oh, what? Well, and okay, are people talking scientific terms that the Nazi wouldn't understand and things like that? Right. That's that's an interesting camp. We have dis right. There's only a few dozen people who use Nazi fluently, and we already have competing camps. Have <laughs> right. It's it's perfect. It's wonderful uh, human thing. We have those who want the language to be culturally pure. No vocabulary of any sort for things that would not match the Navi cultural context from the film. And we have other people who actually would like to be able to use it on Earth, so you need words for things like weak, or or at least a, an officially accepted circumlocution for some of these concepts. So that's a, a, an ongoing tension um, in, the, my, in the... My idea, though, would be that a lot of human concepts would probably make it into the language because people have been there for a little bit, not very long. Right, and certainly people use that as an excuse. I mean, honestly, yeah. the Na'vi aren't aliens, right? Yeah. They're a fantastic conception of a particular kind of human culture and life, and Cameron's very open about that. Oh, I absolutely. In fact, you can see in his artistic depiction of this, and I've had people argue with me about this point, people talking about the Navi being a little, some some scientific problems. I myself noticed, you know, on a planet where everything else has six limbs, they have four. But I actually accept that as just artistic license. That's what Cameron wanted to portray. Realism is a priority for some people. It's not always a priority for some other people. And... Cameron was realistic in a lot of other points in the movie. Well, everything is subsumed for his point, his artistic point, <laughs> which does not need to involve heroes with six limbs necessarily, which would be a pain to animate, if nothing else. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Even to draw, it's a pain. So, right, we have these two camps. Uh, you know, do we keep it, keep the language pure, whatever that means? Um, and... and Fromer has to worry about this. There are certain vocab pieces of vocabulary it would be useful to have and which we would expect the Navi to have. But Fromer won't go anywhere near because it steps solidly into Cameron's creative territory. We have no idea, for example, how you would talk about your grandparents in Navi. And eventually we need to find... At some point, we hope, Fromer will be able to talk to somebody in Cameron's stable of anthropologists to say what kind of family structure they had. <laughs> yeah. So that there's some weird, be... interesting vocabulary you would think would be quite basic sometimes presents the biggest challenge. That would be very important to get the relational terms associated with the culture because that's very, very much affected by culture as I have sure, sure. Absolutely. I've seen learning Chinese yeah, we can hope that they don't have a system that complex. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Eight words for cousin. <sighs> yes, that's, 
That's not Eskimo Snowmyth. That's real. Although it's actually not that hard to learn because it's basically the sibling terms with a prefix. Yeah, I, I recommend you take a look at all the different uh, family systems and uh, ways of understanding relationships that are used in Australia, native languages. Even oh. just watching Bollywood movies, like the Indian <laughs> family terms are insane. Yeah, there are a lot like, of them. What? <laughs> There's a lot of cultures, I, I, I imagine, with uh, very much more extensive kinship terminology. I think and we're it, highly it biased in the English domain where we have a pretty simple system. It is. I do feel it is a shame that, you know, people who are uh, talking about Natvi don't have any information about that, because that would be very important for linking the language to the culture. Sure, sure. But we're back to this issue of, as much as those of us who love languages like to see them well represented in the films, for James Cameron, Natvi is a decoration. Now, yeah. it's an important decoration. I, I, something weird happened in life, in the universe, when James Cameron was on Oprah, teaching her how to say, well, not the Kameye correctly. <laughs> so that's the first time Oprah's had an invented language on her show, I'm pretty sure. But we will always... It's, it's like people who wanted to know exactly how the, the Navi bows are made, or some piece of trivia like that. For, for, for the purposes of the film, we're just lucky we got a competent linguist to invent the language. Yes, and not gotten Star Wars style gibberish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> or repurposed Earth languages. I don't know if I'm hearing things or not, but supposedly in Star Wars, what uh, Greedo speaks is modified Quenya. I Quechua. swear. Quechua. Quechua, sorry. Ah, brain fart, sorry. We're a little elf-obsessed. Modified <laughs> Quechua. I don't know that much about Quenya, actually. But it's modified Quechua. And I swear I hear a Spanish loan word. For people not familiar, Quechua is a, Span a, a language that was spoken in the former Spanish Empire. It was spoken by the Incans. And still, it's, it's still, it's still spoken. It's spoken by their exists. descendants, yes. And... It has Spanish loan words in its modern form. I swear I hear the word imperial when he's talking to Han. <laughs> that could just be you putting it in there because you want it's, to hear something you know. It's possible. I like when I see, like, um, Quechua loan words into Spanish, and I forget what they are now because they all sound kind of the same. I'm just going to go out on limb and say, like, Yama... Um, Las Pampas, and oh, what's the other one? I don't remember now. I think they're from Quechua. I should look it up instead of just saying stuff on the podcast. <laughs> oh, this this is normal for podcasts. Just... It's normal for me. I make stuff up. So, you I know. I can't think of any Quechua words. Uh, I'd say Pampas is probably not from Quechua because that's down in it real could be a little area. south, but it was it had some nasal thing, which isn't much of a clue at all. I don't know. I I'd have to to look up something and figure it out. <laughs> Do we want to move on to recommendations or 
pimping stuff, whatever. I'm trying to think if there's. I found a list of the words. It's probably not as pompous, but um, palpa. That was the one I was looking for. Not pampa. Palpa. It's the word for avocado, which is also, I believe, avocado. But whatever. Avocado. Um. Yeah, I can't think of anything that would be pushed that needs to be pimped, as you say. Well, certainly learn, learn not be dot org. Right, right. You mentioned William? that at the head. What? Mention it again. People don't remember okay. after an hour of us figuring. Okay. okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, just give us give us all all your 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 spiel on that. Your, my spiel on learn not be dot org. Okay, well, for people who are interested in learning Navi and keeping up with the developments in the language, there are two places to go. LearnNavit.org, especially on the forums, but there's a, a bunch of large PDFs for things like dictionaries and the grammar of what we know so far. Um, Paul Fromer's blog, NaviDeri.org, um, updates maybe once or twice a month. He is a busy guy. Um, is probably the other place to look. All right. Kievamut Ewangahu. All right. And this is uh, something. Goodbye, uh, and may, A will be, with, A will be you. with you. Yes, Kievame is the future subjunctive of Kame. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can listen to us on iTunes or by visiting conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at Conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, even to suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com. Our theme music was created by Xander Bedeus. Kievamut Ewangahu.